this is how I find out the money laundering scheme. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> uh, it'll be the only good true crime podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a grown man who didn't read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, read them as an adult to determine if this is a book series that the world has been sleeping on, said that, yeah, we've been sleeping on it. And now the TV show hopefully is helping to make the world not sleep on it. And now we're talking about the TV show. We are here on this quest. I'm not on this quest alone. I am joined by two fantastic folks who you've heard on the podcast before. And by the powers that be, it's worked where you have found yourself here for the Luke Hermes episode <laughs> completely by chance. Mm -hmm. It is Phoebe and Emily from Monster Donut. Folks, how's it going? It's going good. It's Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Purely, this was like months in advance of just like when I was putting together who I wanted to have on the show. And it was just complete chance of like, episode six sounds good to have Monster Donut folks on. And then it just kind of all worked out with timelines and everything like that. And you found yourself back talking about the things that you were originally on the podcast for that you wanted to call dibs on because it was about your hometown in Connecticut. And here we are, <laughs> wildly. Book five has found its way into episode six yeah. of season one. I know, when they mentioned May in the show, I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Very fun stuff. I'm very excited to talk about this episode of the show. Before we get into it, though, now that you're repeat guests, I believe I've asked you some of the repeat guest questions. Have I asked you what your nectar and ambrosia would taste like? Have we done that one yet? No. No. Okay, so that's like the next one that I do, because mm. I've asked, I believe, what cabins you'd be in and how you found the books. So... Your nectar and ambrosia, like ideal food, ideal drink, what would they taste like for you? Hmm. For nectar, a blue raspberry icy. Nice. Classic. Ambrosia, I feel like it has to be something warm and spicy, like a Ooh. buffalo wing. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I like true? that. Yeah. Every time we get food from a place um, that we haven't been, that like Phoebe hasn't been before, her first thing she'll say usually is not spicy enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. You could take on the gauntlet of either Hot Ones or whatever Buffalo Wild Wings calls theirs thing, whereas I would be a tiny baby. I like spicy, but there's a certain threshold where I just I just can't handle it. So I commend you for your spiciness tolerance. I haven't yet found my threshold. Ooh. Ooh. So we'll, <laughs> we'll have to find it someday. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do your, your hot sauce journey. Yeah. Find that maximum. What would be your calls, Emily? Oh, man. I have the worst time picking favorites of anything. Um, mm -hmm. I have a note in my notes app that's just top fives oh. so that if people put me on the spot and ask me, like, what's your favorite this? I can pull it up because I often forget. That's so good. That's a good tip because it comes <laughs> up so often that people ask you for your top five on the spot, right. you know, just like they come up uh -huh. to you on the street and they're like, hey, top five. Sometimes, you know, I don't want to ever be <laughs> caught off guard. What if Billy on the street stops me and is like, for a dollar, what are your top five favorite movies? Like, that's a dollar I could be making. <laughs> So I'm going to go with my first instincts. Ambrosia, I think it's got to be my mom's mac and cheese. She makes the best mac and cheese. It's a childhood core memory. <laughs> it's it's so good. Like everybody who's ever had it is like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is the stuff. I think for nectar, uh, I mean, right now it's definitely coffee. Like that's... <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I need it to function. It heals me. Um, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. Also, as we're all in the uh, distinguished member of the press camp where we are making tons of content, which is a good, wonderful problem to have. <laughs> I know. It's been amazing, but also I'm ready for a nap. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I look forward to the big nap that I will take after I finish <laughs> posting stuff about episode eight and everything. But let's get into episode six. Episode six is called We Take a Zebra to Vegas, sticking with the fantastic chapter title, episode title situation. Before we get into anything, though, I want to get into something that I forgot to talk about in episode five, which was we never get the warning from Nereid of to not trust the gifts. And in this episode, when Nereid comes back, I was like, are we going to get it? And we don't get it. And I think it's because the show is trying to make a spoiler alert in case anyone doesn't know what happens. Like we're going to be talking book one and maybe overall series spoilers. But I think they're really trying to keep the Luke spoiler under wraps. Like there's been a lot of different things to keep it not clear. And I feel at least when I read it, once she said that, I was like, oh, that it has to be Luke. Like I was a little suspicious. And then that made it very clear. It was like, well, that's the only gift was Riptide and the shoes. And I feel like Riptide is not going to be something untrustworthy. Like, I don't think that Chiron's going to be the big bad. So her not saying that makes it where you just don't have that as easy of a thing. But also, we do lose out on one of my favorite exchanges from the book, which is when Percy goes, wait, at the river, you said not to trust the gifts. What gifts? And then Nerid goes, goodbye, young hero. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, but alas. You're right, though. I I totally didn't even realize that that line wasn't in the show. I completely Mm -hmm. forgot it existed. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like the moment. So I I think for for me, it just really sticks out because that was my big old light bulb moment. But anyway, this episode does begin with Kronos question mark, though, according to the captions, at least he is the headmaster. And it is in the same school room where Percy had his, oh, what happened to Nancy talk. And I believe this person was there. So that was the same headmaster, right? This isn't yeah. like a, oh, we've yeah. actually semi-revealed who's going to be cast as Kronos. Yeah. No, I think it was. I was also looking out for the Rick cameo again. I was like, that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch it the first time? Because I completely no, missed it the first like four times I watched it. <laughs> I didn't see it until we were at the premiere and he was big. Like oh. once he was big on a big screen, I saw it. <laughs> No, I was I was at the premiere sitting next to Robert from the damn meme page and they told me about the cameo going in and I was like, wait, I totally missed that. And then as soon as he popped up on screen, we both pointed like that, like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we yeah. were just like, ah! <laughs> I missed it until all of my listeners were like, how did you miss it? <laughs> so I made sure to watch this episode multiple times before hopping on the mic here so that I could catch any sort of thing. And there is one minor thing that I caught that I'm very proud of. Ooh. So at least I've got that. But of course, I'm going to miss the something where I'm sure one of the extras was something, though I'm big on. I don't think Nico and Bianca were in the background no. because then they would have had to like cast them. Yeah. And that's a whole thing where you have to get all complicated if you recap. Like, I don't think that was anything, yeah. though I did love the background extra stuff and all their costumes. That was very, very cool. Yeah, And then people like watching, too, would be like, Nico and Bianca D'Angelo, do they own the sandwich shop? Easter egg? (laughs) (laughs) Another thing I missed on my first couple of watch-throughs of the first one. But anyway, we have this Kronos headmastery type 
addressing the lightning thief. So mm-hmm. we are now getting another mention of the lightning thief. I really, I, they, I think they say it twice in this episode, which like I think we're at three total for the season, which is good. We're like not at the pace of the movie where they say it like every four seconds, but he does address the lightning thief, saying he is disappointed in them. He's hinting at the bigger picture at stake, and then he's mentioning something about like, oh, we have someone who can take your place and kind of breaks the fourth wall to address Percy. And I completely forgot that there was like a brief arc where Kronos really was in on trying to get Percy to join his side as opposed to butting heads. Mm -hmm. And this was a nice refresher for me. Mm. Yeah, I spent most of the lightning thief and also most of the season (laughs) just trying to figure out what exactly Kronos (laughs) wants from Percy when Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, my interpretation was always like, if Luke doesn't pan out, I'll get this kid to help me kind of thing. Maybe that's exactly what it is here as well. But that was at least always my my read on the situation was like, Luke seems pretty good. But if not, there's this other guy who could be fine. Though it does feel like a big risk to have a child of the big three slash a now forbidden child, which I love as a term. I think we should all roll with it and accept it as canon because it's far less clunky than child of the big three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What I also think is interesting about this headmaster thing, I'm wondering if this is just a season one, we're delaying until we can cast Kronos as someone big, famous, and important, or if this will be a motif where, like, there never really is a Kronos. Like, it just keeps changing to either people in Percy's life or vague CGI hooded people with lanterns like we saw earlier in the season. I feel like it could go either direction, and I think it's fascinating of what they will do with Kronos, because it wasn't until... I talked about it on the show about them, like, quote unquote, not casting Kronos. Someone on Reddit was like, well, you don't really see him, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. It's always just like a voice, right? Like in, in the books, there's never like a corporeal Kronos until he lucifies, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I think in the mythology, they kind of keep it where it's like he's been like cut into a bunch of different pieces and like scattered. So he doesn't like it's like a big question mark if he even has like a form. Yeah. He's also like one of those primordial titans. Like I think the titans have forms in mythology, but like you get far back enough in Greek myth and it's like the sky. Like <laughs> they don't really have like bodies. <laughs> It's like chaos, the concept. Uh. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea of him taking different forms though in the future, like in Percy's dreams. I hadn't really thought about like that as the future i was just thinking about how much i like nick brain's voice as Kronos and how i don't want them to recast him mm-hmm. because i just want it to keep being nick brain for a while <laughs> he was the dream voice guy from before mm-hmm. is he in something else or did you just enjoy this guy's he's voice in black this? sales which everyone should be watching unsurprising <laughs> unsurprising i look forward to my future black sales deep dive after we and daphne olive staff writer and some other folks talked about black sales for a good like 35 minutes in the <laughs> The Met. I am sold. I'm all in to watch it. And I'm going to be interviewing Daphne later for the show. And I'm sure that by the end of that, I will even be more on board. So yeah, seeing that like everyone involved from Black Sales kind of made it over and this show's good, I feel like I'll enjoy Black Sales. That's very good. I also, uh, back to the Kronos thing, I think something I'm enjoying a bit in the show is this idea that like monsters and like gods, like they're sort of how they appeal to people change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a thing in the books, too, where, like, gods kind of take whatever form they want to take. And there's also, like, an idea of, like, maybe there's something going on where it's, like, you see, like, I think there's a description of Aphrodite in the books at some point where it's, like, she's appearing to people as, like, what appeals to them most type situation. So I kind of like the idea of them, like, running with this idea 
where it's like, oh, we're going to appear to you in like the form that scares you the most, the form that like incites these primal reactions. Because then you sort of get a window a little bit into where they're at at that moment, too, as characters. Yeah, yeah. And what's also fun about that is because the show is not afraid to show us things from other people's perspective, even though it's mostly Percy, there is the possibility that we would get like someone else's dream. It's mm. not out of the question that we could see what Kronos looks like to Luke if we just get like a one-on-one thing with them, not necessarily like a Percy saw this dream kind of thing, which this one is, which is why I guess it would take the form of his headmaster in the the room where he got expelled from Yancey, you know, something that truly did scare Percy. Yeah. I was thinking about this a lot, too, with, like, the keeping Gabe as the, as the prophecy vehicle, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. Which I totally forgot was from the books. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot that. We talked about it a bit because I was like, does this ever happen again? And we were going through it and we were like, oh, Percy never gets a prophecy again. <laughs> <laughs> he never gets from the Oracle again? Or are you just saying the first one? No, in the first series, he never, like, it's always someone else that gets the prophecy. Hmm. What about when the Oracle, oh, I guess it's not to him when the Oracle like creepily walks out after the chariot mm-hmm. race. It's to. Right. It's, it's like to everybody. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And then he just gets the little like piece of paper for the great one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Dang, Percy getting stiffed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Percy wakes up and we are in the animal truck and then we get the prism i was so excited to see the prism because of the thing i learned about the listerine bottle with the iphone mm-hmm. flashlight this made me so happy so 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 happy it was so blue i was like wow yeah i saw it now i'm like i gotta like i don't use listerine usually but like i want to get some listerine now <laughs> i, I want to just <laughs> set it up next time i have a party just get a bunch of like iphone flashlights and listerine <laughs> vibes will be amazing iris message party oh <laughs> Gosh, oh man, the possibilities. Now, something I think is very fun is Annabeth asks Grover to kind of see if they can see where they are and he pokes his head out of the roof of this truck and you see that they're in Vegas and they pass a billboard and truest to form possible, it is a Cracker Barrel billboard because (laughs) of course, and I'm not, this is something I think I've said on the podcast that I think Burger King is actually a money laundering scheme because I don't know the last time I've ever heard a human say that they've eaten at Burger King, yet they are everywhere. I also kind of feel this way about Cracker Barrel because I always see the billboards and I've like never stopped there. I haven't been to one since I was like eight. I don't know. There's something going on with Cracker Barrel. If there was some big expose, like which one was it? Was it a Hobby Lobby or something where they're like, oh, they're actually like doing all these weird things with like old artifacts and stuff like museum things. I would not be surprised if there was some big expose that like Cracker Barrel is actually a scheme. I'd be like, I knew it. There's too many billboards and not enough people talking about how they eat a Cracker Barrel. Oh, man. What's funny is I also zoomed in on the billboard but I had a completely different takeaway, which is it says cooking up classics. And I was like, they certainly are. (laughs) (laughs) I did notice that that was the phrasing, but yeah, that's good. That's good. Look at all the meanings. Look at all the meanings. Yeah, I will. I will. uh, I'll have to ask Jet. I'll be like, yo, Jet, (laughs) was this just an existing, the director of this episode, was this an existing Cracker Barrel thing? Or did you do it for like the classics of like, get it? Like Greek mythology? (laughs) I would pay money that the answer is going to be Jonathan Seinberg insisted this specific billboard was <laughs> I will say that keeps being the answer to all my silly questions for the people that I'm asking. I'm like, well, this hyper-specific thing happened and they're like, John Steinberg said <laughs> that we needed Levitate to be the song. <laughs> like, I'm sure that will be the answer. So they do the iris message. We get our second seaweed brain. We're getting it back-to-back episodes, multiple seaweed brains. I was wrong in the last episode of 
the podcast not knowing what the initial seaweed brain was. I thought the first seaweed brain, and I think I thought this because Liam thought it was, so I'm going to pass the blame over to him and hope he <laughs> listens to this episode. Now I'm throwing him under the bus. <laughs> but I thought the first one was because I'm your friend, seaweed brain. But the first one is I don't get quest requests often or something, or it's like it's not every day you can go on a quest. Seaweed brain is the oh, original yeah. one. That's like the OG yeah. seaweed brain. So I was worried that people were going to get mad that like the first use of seaweed brain isn't the actual first quote of seaweed brain. But I'm sure people are just happy that they are utilizing seaweed brain. And it feels correct, even though it's not like exactly how it's done in the book. But I also wouldn't be surprised if there's a subreddit thread because there's always a subreddit thread hating on something that's like <laughs> furious that it wasn't the correct quote. Yeah. So the seaweed brain here is that Annabeth is telling Percy to toss the drachma into the Iris message. She says, toss it, seaweed brain. And I like that Iris looks like the Siri thing on your phone when you accidentally hold down that one button for too many <laughs> seconds. <laughs> like, that does track kind of what for Iris is in the show anyway. Wait, isn't Siri an anagram for Iris? No. Oh, is it, well, I mean, it, it is. It's that backwards. It's backwards. Was that intentional? Is that where it came from? Wait a minute. All right, we have to Google this. <laughs> what was the origin well, Siri of is also the name Siri? A Swedish name. I know this because there was a girl we went to high school with whose name was Siri. So when Siri came out when we were in high school, oh. she was very annoyed. <laughs> That's got to suck. Same thing with Alexa. I, something that I think is fascinating, just as like an interesting thing, is if you look at just like historical name charts and like when things like absolutely plummet or skyrocket. And I'm sure that like since 2014 or whenever Alexa came out, I'm sure Alexa has tanked and Siri, I'm sure as well. According to Google, which is referencing Wikipedia, it says that Siri is a Scandinavian feminine given name. It is a short form of Sigrid from Old Norse Sigrider, composed of the elements Sigur, victory, and Frieder, beautiful. Okay, how Apple's Siri got her name. Oh, wow, gosh, I feel old. Curious about the etymological origins of the iPhone 4S <laughs> virtual <laughs> assistant's handle? Look to Norway. Oh, so it must be named after, because isn't Siegfried a mythological figure also? I guess. I know this because I've watched um, Django. There we go. Ah. Django Unchained. There's the whole story of Siegfried in the mountain. Okay. I haven't seen that one in quite a minute, so I'd have to rewatch. So at least according to the internet, one of the co-creators of Siri was a Norwegian guy named Dag Kittelaus, and apparently he planned to name his daughter Siri after a former co-worker. And then he registered the domain Siri.com. Then he and his wife had a son, so they shelved the website. So I guess he made the website for his own kid. That's kind of cool. But then when they were going to make it, they named it that. So it was like, oh, I had this cool girl name, but then we had a boy, and I want to use it for something. I will now, if I can't have Siri, no one can. <laughs> Everyone has Siri. Okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. There you go. Yeah, I do feel bad for your friends here. I'm sure that would stink to just like have a name and then it's like oh were you named after the phone it's like i'm so much older than the phone thing what are you talking about <laughs> yeah i mean it was just like a kid's thing i think it was like a couple months where she was just like because <sighs> it was like the <laughs> same joke every day you know <laughs> yeah look as someone who has been called mike sherbert every day since <laughs> kindergarten i completely understand hearing just the same joke over and over and over again yeah i get like the baby food every time i oh. say my last name but it, your last name's not Gerber. No, it's Garber. But everyone says Gerber, so eh, what can you do? That sucks when it, they're wrong. Like, one that I would get when I got a little older is, like, when I was in, like, middle school and high school, because my nickname for the longest time has been Shubes, and people would be like, 
as a joke, sometimes they tried to call me pubes. And I'm like, my name, though it's spelled like that, you don't call me shubes. So that is incorrect. Like, if you're going to make some sort of funny thing about how my nickname sounds like, at least call me boobs, because that, like, is the same sound. Like, I know it's spelled differently, but, like, I was, this is how much of a nerd I am. Is like, people were bullying me. And I was like, no, 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 no. You could be doing a better job. Let me explain to you. <laughs> my natural reaction anyway percy jackson so yeah. they are iris messaging luke and luke says that chiron is holding down the camp with both hands okay but how many hooves uh and then they tell luke that they know who the lightning thief is and you got a hat tip to charlie because he does a great job of like pausing for a second and then going how do you know which is a great like uh do they know it's me i don't think they know it's me let me deflect here <laughs> I had a wild moment watching this the first time because I misheard this line as we know you stole the bolt instead of we know who stole the bolt. And I was like, huh? <laughs> but I very quickly realized I heard wrong when Luke was just like, how do you know? Yeah. <laughs> very casually. This is why when I watch the episodes in prep for the recordings, I put the subtitles on just so that I make sure I know everything. <laughs> I only do that the third time. So... Yeah. <laughs> so after they kind of explain how Grover put it together of who they think the lightning thief is, Luke really quickly goes along with Clarice is the lightning thief. So we get another <laughs> mention of lightning thief. And what I love about this is that it reminds me of when you play Among Us and you are the <laughs> culprit, you're the imposter, and someone is like, I think it might be Richard. And you're like, Richard is being suspicious. You're right. Like, just jump on the first thing. Classic. Classic. So I like him doing that. I think you just created a new segment for the cast to do. I want to see this now. Yes. Oh, it'd be so funny if they're playing Among Us and Charlie's the imposter. <laughs> Hello, Disney. Me and the monster turn up, folks. <laughs> Maybe if we all team up. I know. <laughs> presented by the both of us. us. <laughs> Our power combined. <laughs> Three. We're dying to play Among Us, please. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the game that was really popular four years ago? I have no idea if it's still popular now. <laughs> it's still a good time. I think people still stream it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm on the game streams. It's timeless enough. No, I don't I don't stream because I play video games to relax and having to perform while I play video games doesn't sound great. That being said, when Hades 2 comes out, you best believe I'm going to stream that all the time because then I can pretend it's work. So... <laughs> Percy Jackson. Then Annabeth and Percy have this little like bickering thing where they're messing up which day everything on their quest happened. And then Luke asks them when they became an old married couple, which is very cute. And then Percy says, not to change the subject, but I'm gonna. And then he's about to ask about Hermes and going to Vegas. And then Annabeth ends the call thinking that Luke would talk them out of it. And I think this is at least a good excuse of you need to get this call to end abruptly. So I think that this is a natural way to make it happen. So I think so far everything has been really fun. I've been enjoying the episode at this point. Yeah, it also introduced, I think it, it, it does that first little ding introduction of like, Annabeth knows about Luke and what's going on with him that we're going to like mm -hmm. follow up on later. Yeah. yeah. I love that Luke is the original Perspeth shipper. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. Of all of the people to call them out first, I'm glad it was him because he's about to be tortured by them for years. <laughs> yeah. I like it, and it makes me think they're going to take it in a different direction. Like, I don't think we're going to get my favorite line from the fifth book, which is, you were like a brother to me. Like, I just don't feel like that whole sort of thing is going to happen, which I think is smart given the age difference and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think that's yeah. okay. I think they're kind of getting rid of the romantic stuff or at least if they do, it would be just like Annabeth towards Luke, which is how I always interpreted it until mm -hmm. the very, very end of The Last Olympian when Luke asks that. And maybe he meant it a different way, but 
This is, yeah, the beginning of the whole, like, Luke Hermes dynamic, and then it gets further expanded upon in this episode. So Grover says that the animals have a plan to escape, and they will also help get them out, too, and that they were just missing one piece of the puzzle to get the cages unlocked. Thumbs. And he says it's an elegant plan, and at this point I was like, all right, it's just going to be the animals, like, busting out, right? And then cut to the animals just on the streets of Las Vegas. Perfect joke. Great stuff. A plus. No notes. This entire scene between Walker and Aaron is my absolute favorite. It's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny. And I like that in the last episode, Grover was cooking. He was so profound. He is orchestrating. He's tricking a literal god. He's so smart, calculating all these things. And then this episode, he is only comedic relief and nothing else. <laughs> it's there's so a little, funny. There's a little bit more. There's a little more. We got, we got a little more. We get a little bit, but I, I feel like this is just like the perfect like two-episode arc of like the ends of the Grover mm. spectrum of like cute, <laughs> sweet, and adorable, but also like tricks the god of war into saying too much. Like, oh, it's really solid. Really good Grover stuff. I do also love the a tiny detail where Grover's like, all right, guys, I have an idea. And Annabeth's like, yes, we'll free the animals. <laughs> like she knows instantly where he's going with this. It's good. It's good. I like the little things as well. He mentions the satyr's blessing. So we are still getting some of Grover's magical abilities and stuff in the mix, which I think is fun. So then Percy wonders, okay, how are we going to find the Lotus Casino? And then Annabeth very sassily says that she thinks it's probably the one with a giant lotus on it. And they turn around and it's right there. Percy says, you were like two seconds ahead of me. They're so cute now. They're like really starting to hit the early Percybeth stages. And I Mm -hmm. love it. I really love it. Then it leads into, and I love, there's not a lot of things from the original movie that have translated. And I know everyone liked the casino scene for good reason. I think having Poker Face is absolutely perfect and it's great. And it was like a big popular song when they filmed the show. It gets into the needle drop of levity, which I think is perfect because like at the time they filmed the show, this was like the song and it is a good song and it's been stuck in my head ever since I watched this episode. And it's perfect. I hope people don't get upset that they didn't reuse Poker Face, but I think it is actually the most on-brand thing that they could do because analogy-wise, this song to 2023 is Poker Face to 2010. So it's absolutely a perfect selection. It was great. I was actually thinking about the Barbie movie too. Like that's what that conjured to me because it's sort of ah. like, sound. I mean, it's Dua Lipa. It's a similar vibe where it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. let's party. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love Dua Lipa. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan. What's the one with the really good baseline about if you don't want to see me dancing with somebody why the heck did you come to the club don't stop now that one's great Mm. or don't start now don't Mm. start now don't stop now is the queen song (laughs) don't start now do a leap of song that one's great the bass riff oh fantastic but i also really like that they did the thing i'm sure there's a movie term for this or a film school term for this but when you do a thing on screen that goes with the beat of the backing track Mm. someone like puts down two poker chips to the clap clap and levitate and i just like fist pumped into the sky when they did that i love (laughs) that which is why i enjoy any edgar wright movie because he does it all the time i love it i was also wondering um you know there's a car rotating is that a lotus i couldn't tell I don't think so, because I don't think Lotuses are that old. Let me look up, like, old Lotus car, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah, Lotuses came out, like, starting in the 80s, or at least the vibes of these images I'm seeing are, and they're those classic, like, cars that have the, like, flip-up lights and stuff like that. But no, that one is, like, a little, like, Cadillac-y. But uh, that would have been a fun nod if it was a Lotus. But 
I guess they're mostly staying away from SpawnCon in the show, so I guess it's okay. Except Tostitos had to have paid for that thing in the gas station, right? Like, there's a lot of, there was a steady shot on Tostitos. And Cracker Barrel, apparently. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'd, look, I'll, I'll, I will ask Jet. I will say hello. <laughs> did, did the crap? this is how I find out the money laundering scheme. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> uh, it'll be the only good true crime podcast. So... Then when they're in the Lotus, this was, again, I was a little upset that they were directly going to the Lotus Casino because I think the whole fun of the myth is that you stumble upon it by accident. And when this started to happen in the show, what happens next, I was a little upset because they get in, they're there for like two seconds. And then is it Annabeth who asks or Grover who asks Percy did you read the Odyssey before? And then he says the graphic novel. Grover asked that, yeah. And then Percy says the graphic novel. Annabeth shoots him a look. He says it counts. And then Grover basically spoils the story. And I was a little sad, and maybe it's just like an adapting for TV thing, but I kind of feel like they are ruining the point of the Lotus, which is like supposed to be a surprise. Like they didn't come here by accident, and they walked in immediately knowing the stakes. And that felt a little disappointing to me. How did you two feel? I mean, I I feel a little bit the same way, but I'm also, I feel like they kind of achieved the same result with the reveal that it's in the air. It's not that they're eating it. Sure. But also in the book, it's kind of, I kind of expected it to work that way anyway, because in the book, they don't have to eat anything. Right. Yeah. I was going back and forth on this, because I think on the one hand, like, thinking about it, like, from just a plotting perspective, I feel like the thing with the Lotus, the fact that they're stumbling in. I feel like it would make it feel maybe a little too much like, oh, they're stumbling into this, they're stumbling into that, they're stumbling into this. Because I think in a book, like there's a very strong plot within the narrative, like the narration, mm-hmm. versus here, there's, I think, having a little more of that point A to point B driving force. They might have felt that was necessary. I think the other thing is I was thinking about how convenient it would have felt if Hermes just happened to be there. Yeah. Well, weren't they told to go there because he likes to hang out there? And then you think, why does Hermes like to hang out in this random casino? And then over time, you realize why he likes to hang out in this random casino. It's because it's full of travelers who can't go anywhere (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the and I don't know, like, what led to the decision, but I think it is one of those. However, they decided the overall story should take form it kind of made it like a natural thing. And I do like how they got there. I feel like you still kind of like get the vibe of it by the end, but I feel like you have to go back a couple of steps. Like it would have had to have been a thing. And this is something Sherry had suggested in our last episode. It would have had to have been Aries being like, just go to vague Las Vegas to find Hermes. And then they would have had to stumble in on the casino and then found him for it to be like the true way it is in the book. So I think at first I was disappointed. And then as it went on, I was more okay with it because they kind of still hit it yeah but yeah I, I think it is probably just like an adaptation type thing and they're trying to make it a little more direct it also is just like it's episode six at this point and i don't know you know three quarters of the way through the show i don't know if that was three quarters of the way through the book like i feel like they're a little like they need to like speed it up a little bit because now by the end of this episode it's like oh, okay you know episode seven will be underworld and episode eight will be you know Olympus. So I think it's more of just like you got to do it. I think the only way you could have made it different is like if this episode was longer, but this is one of the shorter episodes. It's another 33 minute one like episode four. So I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, there's enough here that I didn't find myself missing it the first time. I just sort of realized afterward that, oh, they they didn't do that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's like the biggest deal. I was a little miffed at first, and then as it went on, I was like, all right, I think they still got it. Now, we also get our first wise girl drop in this episode where mm-hmm. he calls her wise girl. And I, I wonder if it was intentional or if it's just how it happened, but it felt like he kind of like had a pause in between wise and girl, like he wasn't fully confident in saying it. And I don't know if that was an intentional like sound a little awkward when you say it because this is and always has been the retort to seaweed brain or if it was just like the way the line delivery happened because he i've always envisioned as like wise girl like really quick but he kind of said like wise girl with like a, a bit of a pause in between and i'm curious if that was an intentional choice yeah so then annabeth just warns them don't eat anything and then grover goes why were you looking at me when you said that perfect true to grover form And then they're walking around the casino. Shout out to the Foley department because they hit like that classic like casino noise. Like, I don't know what the thing is, but like that do 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 like kind of thing is in the background. Absolutely nailed it. And they split up to find Hermes and Grover goes one way. Annabeth and Percy go another way. She starts explaining the backstory of things while the classic 80s song, the I Ran So Far Away song, is in the background. Great. Love the music choice. And Annabeth explains that May was a seer. She saw too much. Luke blames Hermes for it. And this is where I noticed the costuming of the extras in the background. And I feel like this is something that was tweeted a long time before the show came out that they intentionally did this stuff where they dressed all of the people from different eras. But you can see if you look in the background, like people dressed from all different eras throughout the 1900s. And it's really cool to see all the different styles, but like no one questioning it. It's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's my favorite part of it is that there are people who should not be standing next to each other (laughs) who are standing next to each other. Yeah, it's fun. So then Grover sees Augustus, who is apparently a friend of Uncle Ferdinand. This is a new thing, right? Like, I didn't forget our old pal Augustus. I don't think so. (laughs) Cool. Unless we all forgot him in the Lotus (gasps) Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) So he's got like a bag, which I thought was popcorn. Later we learn it's nachos. And I was thinking, oh, is the lotus flower the popcorn? But then we later learn it's just in the air. This guy thinks he's found Pan, which of course can't be the truth. And we cut back to Percy explaining to Annabeth his dreams and his most recent one and how it feels different, how it feels like he was eavesdropping in on someone else's thing as opposed to something being told to him or something being about his past or future. And what I liked here was that Annabeth is kind of getting along of like, oh, you're listening to this person talk to who Annabeth thinks is Clarice. And then rather than say the lightning thief, Percy says to the person who stole the master bolt for him, which is like when you're (laughs) writing an essay and you have said the same phrase too many times, you're like, "Uh, how do I restate this in a different way? Because I've said it three times in three sentences. The person who stole the master bolt for him, which like good. I I don't want them to say lightning thief too many times. It was the worst when they did it in the movie. So I'm glad (laughs) they are finding other ways to say it. But it's so funny because he like takes a, a beat before he says it too. So like your brain fills in. Oh, the lightning, the lightning thief. thief. Yeah. So then Percy is a bit curious about the future stakes. He's like starting to understand what's going on. And it was kind of heavy handed in the dream. So it makes sense that he's putting it together. He asks what they should do. Annabeth says she doesn't know. Percy is shocked. And she says, there are things I don't know. And then Percy really sweetly says, yeah, but if you don't know, what chance do I have? Oh, Look at Percy. (laughs) He puts so much faith in Annabeth. Like last episode with him saying, like, you're better at this than me to get her to let him sit in the throne. Mm -hmm. It's really cute. It's really cute. 
What I'm also wondering here, because Annabeth and Leah's facial acting has just been so great in these past couple of episodes, was it just me or did it look like she was kind of holding something back here? Like, is she starting to be suspicious of Luke but doesn't want to say anything because she likes Luke? Or am I just like reading too far into it because I know the answer to who is the titular lightning thief? I wonder if it's about Luke. Am I just because I think in the book she does kind of know there is something bigger going on. Like I remember a scene where he's telling her about his dream and she's like, hmm, that doesn't sound like Hades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think at least she's like questioning the general consensus thought that it's Hades. So I wonder if that is what this was. But I don't know. I think it's interesting. You could always kind of see she's calculating. Yeah, she's like nine steps ahead. You know, she's like, okay, let's see. Well, Let's uh, mm-hmm. let's diagram out this god war. What's going on? Why is it happening? <laughs> so we're back to Grover and our old pal Augustus. This is where we learn that the bag of popcorn is not popcorn. It's actually nachos. And then this is where we see, oh, you don't need to eat because Grover kind of gets under the whim of the lotus and he is excited to do whatever Augustus wants him to do. So then we cut to Lin-Manuel Miranda playing craps and we have what I love as a movie trope, which is the end of a joke that you don't hear the beginning of and there doesn't have to be a beginning of it. And I think it's just great. It's something about a baby being washed ashore and then saying, oh, they're wearing a hat. And then everyone's ah, 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 ah. like, great. I don't need to know the first half. It's perfect. I was like, is this some kind of Easter egg that I'm missing? Is this a Hermes story? Of course. I Ever, no. I knew, and I knew, I was like, this is going to be one of those things, because this is uh, something from The Breakfast Club, which is like a movie I enjoyed until I got old enough and rewatched it. I was like, this is actually so bad in so many ways. Mm-hmm. But there's a bit where Bender tells half of a joke, and there was all this speculation of like, what's the beginning of the, or I think he tells the first half of a joke, and then he falls through the ceiling, and you don't hear the second half. And there was all this stuff of like, how does the joke end? And then they asked either the writer or the director or someone, and they were just like, oh, I, I just wrote half a joke. Like, I just made a premise <laughs> of a person walks into a bar joke and then I didn't finish it. I wouldn't be surprised if that was this here. If they were just like, yeah, we just thought it would be kind of funny to mention ocean and, I don't know, baby in a hat. Who cares? I I love that. But I'm also not going to be surprised if there are multiple Reddit threads that are like, I've analyzed what the baby in the hat is on the 13th page in Mark of Athena. (laughs) So I've analyzed what the baby in the hat is. Uh, Have you? Have you? Do you have a guess? Um, yeah, I think he's telling a Perseus story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is there a mythological well, so baby in a hat? The guy flying in the hat above the ocean, I'm thinking Hermes immediately because that's sort of the iconography, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think like baby washing up on the beach, there's a lady there. I was like, yeah, that sounds kind of like the, you know, Perseus and his mom are in the chest and they get washed up. I think in the myth, it's like Poseidon that calms the sea for them. Mm. But then also I think Hermes, Hermes is involved in the Perseus story too. So I was like, I think this is what this is, but I'm not sure. And I thought that would be a funny joke for Hermes and Hermes alone. Like just an inside joke with himself where he's like, oh, I'll tell the Perseus story right as he shows up. I didn't even, in my head, I assumed the baby was wearing a hat. I wasn't (laughs) thinking that she looked up and saw someone wearing a hat. I also thought it was baby in hat. Like she was just so the drama of finding a baby wearing a hat and looking up to the sky and shouting, he's wearing a hat. 100% what I thought it was. That's exactly where I was. And that is why reading comprehension was my worst SAT subject. No, because you're, you know, that could be it though. That could be, I could be wrong. I've gone on these deep dives before and been completely wrong. Like I've done that before. I'll like go off somewhere and be like, this little detail means this. And then we'll see like, press interviews afterwards and they're like it means this and it's just completely wrong 
look, you miss all of the shots that you don't take. So <laughs> you gotta you gotta swing for the fences. Why not? So we then get Hermes talking a little bit, and he's clear that he is bitter about his role. He says, oh, I exist beyond space and time, kid. Why do you think they put me in charge of the mail? Which I think, are there like mythological backgrounds to that? I feel like Hermes being bitter about his job like is a thing, or am I just confusing that with maybe like the Percy Jackson interpretation of Hermes? I feel like when he said this, I was like, right, that does track with some other interpretation of Hermes that I've come across before. I mean, he's the god of travelers and that, I mean, his main like things that you would see all the time, I think we even talked about when we were on the pod the first time were these things called herms, Mm -hmm. which are like basically these little like stone cairns, basically like stone stacks all over the roads, like protection and stuff. Right. I mean, the evolution of like Hermes as a god, uh, there's a lot of people that have done deep dives like, where did these gods come from? I think for Hermes, he might've gotten conflated with like a a more, um, like a Persian god. Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting where this all comes from. That being said, I feel like the assignment of him, because he is like also sort of the messenger god, also just like, it kind of all just tracks to me. Like I never sort of question. I think where he like, you see dissatisfaction in Hermes though, which is really interesting, is I think what he brings up a little bit later. Because he is also responsible for bringing people to the underworld. Like that is one of his jobs. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'm now remembering in true to me form, I'm pretty sure it's in Hades, the video game, where Hermes is upset that he is just the messenger because he's has like a separate role than the other Olympians where they all are like up in Olympus and he's going back and forth. You can still get power-ups from him and stuff, but I think he has a couple lines about being bitter, about always kind of being the relay point in messages. That probably is it. But anyway, back to Percy Jackson. Annabeth then just drops the Luke bomb on Hermes saying, we're friends of Luke. And that really kind of makes him pay attention to them. And then he teleports them to a new room to talk. And before we get into this, we'll take our mid-roll break here, the lightning brief, to talk about podcast updates, stuff like that. And then we'll get into this scene and the rest of the episode. Hello and welcome to the lightning brief. Don't worry, I will keep it brief. I won't be like Hermes where you go, what the heck? How have 85 minutes passed? Just a few quick updates for the podcast. I am putting together all of the different content that I have around the show. I've been doing some other interviews and I have some fun stuff planned. So make sure you are subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts because some things might not come out on the standard schedule. And then also, if you go to thenewsolympia.com slash about, I post what the next four things on the feed should be. And as referenced in this episode, I definitely will be taking a break at some point after I finish coverage of the show, but I still have to figure out exactly how many things I'm going to be posting because I have some interviews yet to release and I got to figure out, will it be a bonus episode? Will it be a full episode? All that kind of stuff. And I'll post about things on social media so you can find us there. Something else you can find on social media is I made a fun reel going further into why Levitating is the perfect song choice for this episode. So you can see that on Instagram at Newest Olympian, and probably I'll post it to Twitter as well, which is also at Newest Olympian. Now, if you want to see me live in person, you can do that. We've got a fun run of shows coming up in 2024. We have three shows in Florida in February, and then we have a show in Denver that is almost sold out on February 18th. I think in the last episode, I accidentally said 8th. That's the 18th, and then February 20th in Phoenix, and then two shows, March 9th and 10th in Raleigh and Charlotte. If you want to get tickets to all of those shows, you can go to the newestolympian.com slash live for the Florida one 
ones. Johnny Frogstein's going to be the guest, and we are going to do our classic bracket format that we've done for lots of Potterless Live shows. We will finally be able to do them for the New Olympian since I have finished the five books. So we will post on social media what those topics are, but no need to prep any sort of reading for the February 8th, 9th, and 10th shows in Florida, and each one will be different, so you can come to all three shows if you want, and you want to see some fun stuff on back-to-back-to-back nights. I also would like to thank the folks who are supporting the show on Patreon. Patreon is where you can support the show and get access to a whole bunch of cool stuff as a thank you for doing so. That includes physical rewards such as Persia Later stickers and Persia Later pins. Those are patron exclusive. The only Persia Later merch you can get is by joining the Patreon. And also, there are digital rewards that you can get. You get access to our Discord, which has been really fun, and people have been talking about the TV show while it's going on, kind of like live reactions. That's been really cool. And then there's also lots of bonus content. I put up a bonus episode where I did a video of me going over all the different covers that The Last Olympian has had. I've been posting director's commentary. We did a monthly Q&A live stream where you can ask me any sort of question. So lots of fun stuff over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. And I want to give a shout out to the folks who have joined most recently. So shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons, Natasha. I buy Discord and other fabulous prizes. Great, great reference. Benjamin Gayton Jr., daughter of Hephaestus number 17, and Squidward's Grumpy be your cousin. Thank you all so much for your support. May Aphrodite bless you that whenever you are putting together your outfit, everything just matches perfectly. If you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, you are in luck because as an independent podcast boy, I make a whole bunch of podcasts and I'm very biased, but I think they're very good. One that I think you would enjoy is Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is a game show podcast for charity that I host and guests compete in a contest of solving children's mysteries from classics like Scooby-Doo and Encyclopedia Brown, and the winner earns money for a charity of their choosing. We just finished season four recently, but we are posting an emergency episode kicking off season five very early and then there will be a big gap between season five episodes one and two but we got a very special guest who is promoting something so to thank them for being on the show i want to get the episode up very early and uh it's i it's it's the most famous person i've ever had on any of my podcasts which is wild so if you want to listen to that go head on over to meddlingadults.com or search for meddling adults wherever you get your podcasts it should be up this week if you're listening to this episode the day it came out now before we wrap up here you're going to hear words from a few sponsors to make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. For example, we have a promotion going on with the clothing brand Quince that makes very affordable, very soft, ethically sourced clothes. And some of the ads won't be read by me. Those are inserted locally. So if you live in Las Vegas, don't be surprised if you hear an ad about how what happens there stays there, baby. Woo! I've never been to Vegas, and I don't know that I ever will. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The New Olympian. This episode of The New Olympian is brought to you by Quince. Let's say you wanted to go to the Lotus Casino and you really wanted to show out. You wanted to look great. You wanted some new fresh clothes, but you didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money doing so, but you still wanted to look really nice. Where could you get your clothes? You could get them from Quince. Quince has timeless essentials that never go out of style, which is perfect if you're at the Lotus Casino since you will be there forever and you'll have these clothes in your closet forever. They have a bunch of must-have items such as 100% Mongolian cashmere crewneck sweaters from $59 and I gotta say, I recently got one of those sweaters and it's really nice. I'm just gonna be straight up here. Quince, because they are a sponsor, they gave 
gave me a coupon code to try out some clothes. And I absolutely love a shirt jacket that I got. And I really have enjoyed wearing it all the time. I liked it so much that I bought this cashmere crew neck sweater with my own money just because I liked the Quinn stuff. It's so fantastic. I keep wearing these clothes all the time. I cannot recommend them enough. And the best part about all of this is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings along to you. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices along with premium fabrics and finishes. What is not to love? Truly, no joke, I have sweaters that cost far more than the stuff I have from Quince, and I like the stuff from Quince so much more. I've been wearing it much more frequently. If you want to upgrade your closet with Quince, go to quince.com slash newest Olympian for free shipping and 365 day returns on your order. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash newest Olympian to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash newest Olympian so that you can look fresh and timeless for the infinite time you will spend in the Lotus Casino today. This episode of The Newest Olympian is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me. And then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash TNO. Wow, that's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash TNO for 10% off your first purchase. So if you want to collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or a Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Okay, we are back there in the new room. Before we recorded, you all let me know that you found the helmet behind them on Etsy because you were deep diving. What led to this? It does cost $1,000 and there's only one left. Get it now! <laughs> what I've been doing when I've watched every episode of the show is just zooming in in detail on everything in the background. I've been like, what is this? Uh, I spent like hours on the like Hephaestus cave like, <laughs> last episode. But um, yeah, I was zooming in because I was like, oh, I'm curious if there's anything going on here. Because something that is props ha, <laughs> to the show creators is the fact that every time I've done it, I have found something. Cool. It's really fun. Um, yeah. So I was just trying to look up like, is these someone's specific helmet? Like what's going on here? And it looks like most of them are just kind of general set dressing. But the bust that you see on like the shelf is one of Hercules. So that's interesting. Oh, cool. And then I also wrote in all caps in my notes, cameo alert, my favorite vase. <laughs> 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 There's 
this really, really gorgeous Minoan vase with an octopus on it. Um, it's actually in the museum in Athens, the Archaeological Museum. And every time I'd oh. go there, I'd be staring at it forever because it's gorgeous. So it's up there on like the second shelf in the middle. So just okay, Google Minoan. I, I literally just Googled it. <laughs> yeah, that thing rips. Vase. That would be really cool to have that pattern on a mug. That would yeah. be a really good coffee mug. It would be. So does that mean that the one you've been staring at I in the know. museum isn't well, even I'm the real one? The real that. one was in the Lotus Hotel. <laughs> like, are these Whoa. replicas or does Hermes have the real things? Like, is he a collector? Like, what's going on here? I- <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So Hermes, when they are talking, he says he remembers Annabeth. And now we're really getting some of the Book 5 stuff showing up. But I get it because... I feel like for the show, you really got to try to establish the big picture Luke arc if you want to make him a villain like earlier on, as opposed to in the book series, like it came a little bit later. I think it's just one of those things where you can have more patience in a book and also a book series, but like a TV show, you got to get people hooked in early. That's just like the nature of it. So I understand them doing it. And I think it flows in pretty naturally here. Annabeth thinks that Hermes helping would show that he cares, so maybe it would be a good thing. And then Hermes says, okay, yeah, there is a way to the underworld, and this is where, as you referenced earlier, he was saying he doesn't think they'll make it because every single time people who go in don't come out. And he continues saying that he was warned not to help Luke and May. He was warned that he would make things worse, but he went anyway, and then he didn't just make things worse for Luke, he made things worse for all of them. So... Very much the uh, the Connecticut Book 5 chapter has found its way here into the Lotus Casino. Yes. <laughs> then we see that Hermes has the power to kind of force people to see flashbacks, yeah. which was very interesting. A little bit of the return of young Percy when he touches Percy's forearm and we see Percy just sitting in the backseat of a Subaru Outback as someone who lived in Seattle for two years. I feel very seen. But I guess was this just like a Percy getting kicked out of a school thing? That was my guess. I was curious because the hazard lights are on. Mm. And so my thought was, you know, we shouldn't be parked here wherever we are. Ah, interesting, interesting. My immediate guess was that he was in the car with Sally and Gabe and that something happened here, but it feels Sally related. Mm -hmm. I do love that little teaser, though, of like, oh, like, because what's the exact quote? It's like, do you know what that feels like to be so close to someone you love, knowing neither of you has any choice but to keep hurting each other? Mm-hmm. What a line, mm-hmm. first of all. Yeah. Right in the feels. It is a good line, but it is also like the thing that people say on like MTV reality shows where they're clearly <laughs> like a terrible fit for each other and they're arguing profusely and they're like, oh, it's just our fighting is our love. I don't know. Maybe I haven't been burned by watching Kelly watch too many episodes <laughs> of Are You the One, where it's just like two people that are absolutely terrible for each other trying to like fight tooth and nail to be like, we're meant to be. It's like, no, you hate each other. You're not meant to be. This is, yeah. But I think it is like a good line. I've just heard the worst people on earth use the same logic. I think for me, just coming from it from like the family perspective as well, because I think that's something these books does a really good job in is like a lot of not so great familial relationships kind of coming mm-hmm. through. I thought it was so interesting to hear it coming from Hermes and to like have that said so early on. It's sort of like with all the Hephaestus stuff in the last episode too, like there's just so much already that we're setting up for, like, the relationships between the gods and the demigods. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see if we get this memory from Percy. Yeah, we'll have to see. 
Annabeth thinks this whole thing is a waste of time, which I love it. And then as she leaves, I didn't notice this the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, you can see her take her hat out of her pocket. So then later on when she does the pickpocketing. Uh. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, when I watched it the first time, I completely miss it. Then as we'll talk about in a sec, she goes invisible and pickpockets him. And then, of course, the second time I was like, all right, let's see if you can tell. Like, I was wondering if she would get far away and then at the very end, like, vanish or something like that. But, yeah, you see her kind of take her hat out of her pocket, which is really fun. Great detail. So Hermes says that Poseidon warned him to stay away, citing Percy as an example. Poseidon told Hermes that it was hard to watch Percy struggle but stay away, but sometimes that's what parenting is. I'm a little worried here because I feel like we're getting a little thick of the... The thing they did in the Lightning Thief movie where it's like Poseidon just loves you so much, Percy. He just had to stay away. I was worried about that. But then at the end of the episode, we get Poseidon like kind of ditching Percy. So like maybe it's okay. I just want to make sure they don't make Poseidon too much of a good guy. Mm -hmm. Like I've always viewed him as like better than the gods, but not like a perfect dad who's just all the circumstances. So I'm cautious about how they are handling the Poseidon-Percy dynamic. Yeah, this line, I was like, it's funny to me how this line on its own it's very real and true that there won't always be something you can do to fix things or help your child, and you're going to have to watch them struggle. But then you put that line in context, and <laughs> Poseidon and Hermes have used that to just justify removing themselves completely from their son's lives, mm -hmm. um, which means that they aren't there in the moments when they aren't powerless to stop it, where when the rest of parenting <laughs> happens. Yeah, they kept being like, oh, this is how parenting works. I was like, I don't think that's how it does. Like, I do think you can do other things. Like, sometimes parenting right. is also being there. <laughs> but I also, I mean, Percy basically says after this, as Hermes is saying this, as if as if he's making points. Meanwhile, Poseidon is currently in Santa Monica waiting to meet Percy because mm -hmm. he presumably has realized that what he said here was kind of wrong. Yes. Yeah. I even interpreted it as Percy being worried that like maybe Poseidon had bad intentions where he's like, wait a second, you're saying that Poseidon told you getting involved is bad. Is my dad intentionally trying to make something bad happen by meeting with me? Like he said he wanted to meet with me. So it's like Percy questioning Poseidon's intentions, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I also recognized Lin-Manuel Miranda has very expressive eyebrows. Did some cool <laughs> eyebrow waves in this one. Felt like Jack Black in School of Rock. <laughs> my first note on him is literally, hold on, let me pull it up so I can read it word for word. Lynn's eyebrows are perfect for Hermes. That's what I wrote down. The first thing. <laughs> <laughs> perfect eyebrow casting. Perfect well eyebrow. done. Honestly, this whole well cast done. is perfect eyebrow casting, though. Let's, mm. they just, mm -hmm. it's so good. Yeah. I do think Lynn is is kind of killing it. Like, he's doing yeah. a really good job in this scene. I feel like I was more intimidated by him than by, like, any other god, actually. <laughs> he is doing a good job, and... By the end, you know, we get no bits of Lynn singing. The first thing I did when I watched this episode is I did just scrub the episode to see if it was going to be a musical number because there were all those rumors of like, this episode was co-written by the guy who wrote the musical and Lin-Manuel Miranda's in it. And I was like, oh my gosh, are they going to put a musical number in there? And I'm <laughs> glad that they didn't. I would love a musical thing at some point in the show. I don't know that that's a season one move you can pull out. Yeah. <laughs> I just really wanted a line dance with Grover leading it. That's really what I wanted. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> uh, gosh, that was very fun in the first movie. You got to give it the few props when you can. That was a great, Do great you? choice. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so then you have Hermes saying that he doesn't think that his help is really going to matter anyway. And then he looks at his watch and the dramatic music that plays in the background when he looks at his watch is very like, dun, dun, dun. And it was something that I thought was funny when you first see Hermes, he's playing craps and he has his hands kind of in front of him. And you see he's got one of those chain wrist bracelet things that uh, is on his right hand and then his left hand has this big, very shiny watch. And just early on, I was like, that is a very big, shiny watch. And now I understand why they did it is because later on the watch becomes important. At first I was like, Hermes watch guy? Hmm. But no, <laughs> it, it does have a reason for being a very big prop piece. But he is implying that time is running out or at least I thought he was implying that time was running out, not that time had run out, as we'll get to later, which I thought was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. But there's a dramatic noise after that. Then Percy and Annabeth are towards like the entrance of the casino, and they're trying to get out. And then someone enters the casino, and then there's more dramatic music. Do we think that this is someone... I was confused at like, what else they would be looking at. They kind of showed it on screen for... A long amount of time. I don't know if that's a character that we're supposed to think or if it's just like someone entering the casino, but it looked like she was trying to like hide behind people and stuff. There was like a bellhop kind of ushering her in. Do we think that's anybody? I thought they were just looking out the doors and realizing it was now nighttime. Oh, oh, okay. That could a thousand, a thousand percent be yeah. it. I did have the same thought process as you, Michael, the first time I watched it. I was like, who is that? Yeah, <laughs> I guess that makes sense with the night because I wouldn't have thought anything of it except they showed it for a really long time. So I was like, why do they keep showing the door? Does this person matter? But yeah, I think I think you're right, Phoebe. I think it's probably just the time of day. Yeah, I do love that we got like the second horror twist as well, like in this episode, because I feel like the Odyssey, you know, this kind of goes back to talking about the myth stuff. And that's why I think this works to me still with the myth stuff in the Lotus Casino. It's because, like, the whole thing in the Odyssey is, like, every encounter Odysseus goes on is basically a horror short story for a person who <laughs> would have been living in ancient Greece at the time. Because, like, you kind of had to, like, travel around by ship a lot to, like, live, essentially. Because, like, most Greek islands have, like, a single tree on them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, you'd have to, like, chance it a lot, like, resting in, like, foreign harbors. And that's why, like, Xenia, like, their ideal of, like, hosting people was such a big thing. And, like, all of Odysseus' encounters are, like, different horror takes on the things you could find on the islands that would, like, be uh-huh. bad. And, like, the whole thing with the Lotus Eaters is, like, it's actually quite short. I actually went back and I reread it just to, like, see what was there. And it's one of his first encounters. And the horror is just, like, forgetting you want to go home, forgetting the people you love. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, and the, like that's sort of one of the, like, big existential fears of an ancient Greek person just always traveling around. And um, so I thought in this way, the like how there's sort of like these two different like horror turning point twists that are unexpected. One of them is expected if you've read the books, but one of them is a little less expected. I thought just like worked really well for me in that way. Mm-hmm. And also like the fact that Hermes is kind of a villain, like there's kind of a twist villain mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, the like realization it. that he's been wasting their time the whole time. Like the, I kept thinking about this, the fact that he heard that they were friends of Luke's and you realize that he took them into that room to waste their time. Yeah. It wasn't a reaction to like, oh, you're friends of Luke's. Maybe I can get something out of this. It was like, let me take you over here and waste your time for several days. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the perfect trick of it is under the guise of help that he makes their situation worse than if they just didn't talk to him at all, I guess. But yeah, so we learned that Annabeth stole his keys 
Percy asks, you picked his pocket? And she says, I'm multi-talented. And <laughs> this is where Percy realizes that the lotus flowers being pumped into the air. How did Percy know this? He said Hermes told him. Oh. They seem to have had a longer conversation. I think this is something I've noticed with the show. They're cutting off conversations and then, cut. like, mm-hmm. I think the same thing happened after St. Louis as well. Like, in between episodes, there was a longer thing that went down. But we didn't get mm-hmm. all of the information. Mm. But yeah, he says like Hermes told him that. So I guess it seems like Percy has interrogated Hermes after realizing they're running out of time. Gotcha, gotcha. I wonder if it was something that they did film it and then they had to cut it for the timeline of oh, the show. Really? Or if it was always an intentional choice of we're going to cut this conversation short. And I guess when you think about it, the books will sometimes do that. Or just like books will sometimes do that where you don't necessarily have to see the dialogue rather than read the dialogue and then also have to read about someone explaining what they just talked about. But I guess in the Percy Jackson books, it's usually the reverse. Like you see the conversation and the narrator Percy is usually like, I told Annabeth what happened as opposed to the flip where it's like, hey, Annabeth, here's what happened. So maybe it's going against what is traditional that we're used to in this form. Yeah. I'm just picturing right now that it was just them singing nonstop from Hamilton together, like running out (laughs) of time, running out of time. (laughs) They're doing choreography and having a conversation. We just, it happened off screen. We didn't get to see it. Right. So then they do get reunited with Grover. But as you were kind of alluding to, Emily, Grover is forgetting the ones that he loved. He forgets that they're friends. I like that Percy says we're your best friends. Super cute and all of that. But they are able to get Grover back. There's a whole thing with Augustus and all of that. But they get Grover. I was sad that we don't get our good friend Darren, who spells his name D-A-R-R-I-N. Darren Erasure. uh, (laughs) Wild that the movies fought to get him in and the TV show did not. (laughs) Darren. Uh, Needed bell bottoms. Oh, gosh, gosh. And his fringe in the movie, fantastic. But... I do like that they made the casino not just a casino. I like that they kept, in my brain, it always being like a Dave & Buster's or an ESPN zone where there's more video games. So Grover's playing, you know, a VR headset type game. You can see a bunch of arcade games and pinball machines and stuff in the background. So I like that they kept that going along. Yeah. And then this is where they say, we're your best friends. He goes, really? Percy goes, oh boy. And then they are moving along with the car keys trying to find the car. And you can see another detail, much like the costumes, a lot of the cars are from different points in time. So all different ages of cars. Something also from the captions, Percy at one point says G's and they spell G's with a J, J E E Z. I always spell G's with a G. The only thing I can interpret from the J is this is an abbreviation or a shortening of Percy going, Jesus Christ, (laughs) if you spell it with a J. As a second, what second point? Percy is Christian confirmed. I <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I look. I have the, the big picture theory that Kelly came up with is I think it's an intentional thing that they are trying to do to not get the backlash that Harry Potter got, which was like, oh, if you don't say that the Christian God exists, you can say these books are sacrilegious, blah, blah, blah. Oh. I wouldn't be surprised if it was an intentional thing in episode one to make some sort of like reference to Jesus and God so that you can say like, see, it could exist in the world where God is real. Please, the state of Utah, watch the show, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was more than just like a funny joke, which it was. Hmm, conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's Kelly's, I think, pretty apt tinfoil hat theory. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. 
But anyway, they get to the taxi cab and there's a note for them. It says to the dumb kids, felt like you could have used a different word, but fun. And then Annabeth says, should have known the God of Thieves noticed his pocket getting picked, which is great. I love that they are kids and like not everything is 100% thought through, Mm -hmm. which is fun. And... Then they're trying to figure out who's going to drive. And I was thinking, <laughs> Rivers 24, he's the <laughs> candidate. But he says, I'm still not 100% sure what we're doing here. So I think that's disqualifying. Fantastic. Fantastic <laughs> quote. And then we get a very funny, like, I was laughing the entire it's scene. so good. I was also like, where did they get the tape of me learning how to drive when I first got my learner's <laughs> permit? <laughs> Percy struggling to drive. In a parking garage. And, like, of all the places to learn how to drive, a parking garage with a lot of columns, there's a lot of columns. Like, that is the, I, to this day, don't like driving in parking garages with lots of columns. So that's, like, a really tough situation for your first foray. But it's just, it's so funny. The way it's shot is great. Shout out to whoever the stunt driver was, because they do a great job bumping into stuff. Herky-jerky, really funny. I also loved the person cuts Percy off, and then like he's a 68-year-old man, gets angry at this person, and long after they've passed him, he honks on the horn just to make a point. Uh, the comic so timing good. of that moment. <laughs> I love how he's getting basically everything wrong, but that's the one thing that he knows how to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But that makes sense because that would be the one thing that you can understand being in the back seat of a car. Like, Mm -hmm. for sure, Sally's done that. And he's like, well, this is what you do when you drive. (laughs) (laughs) What's also just so fun is the scoring of this and the way it's shot is so funny because it's like really upbeat, triumphant music as this car goes so slowly. And when they see like the final turn (laughs) and he's going around the turn and he's doing it to Annabeth's face, she's so excited. Like, it's so funny. It is so well shot. And then, of course, crashes into a bunch of stuff. I love the fact that this is such a short episode and they dedicated so much time to this. <laughs> it's so, it's uh, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's so funny. I love when comedic elements find their way into the show because it's always there in the book. So to put this in was so good. I really, really, really enjoyed it. One more moment as well that I love is when they're, they finally make it into the tunnel and he looks over to smile at Annabeth and that's, and he turns the wheel with his head and takes out the mirror. I was like, ah. Uh. It's good. It's good, especially I am someone that gets annoyed by the way things are filmed with people driving. And Grover was in the back middle seat here, which did bug me a little bit. But when I made fun of that in the earlier episode, because in episode one, I was like, yes, Grover doesn't sit in the middle seat. I hate when movies do this. No one does that. A lot of people let me know that they do sit in the middle seat, one, as a way to combat car sickness, which as someone who does get car sickness, I get like I always try to sit in the front seat if I can, but I can see like looking out the window does help. So sitting in the middle could help. I see that. Then some people said that they'll sit in the middle because they don't want to be left out of conversations. And I was like, (laughs) maybe talk to your friends about facilitating a conversation better because you sitting here versus you sitting two feet to the right shouldn't change that. I understand the instinct of you, but talk to your friends about being more inclusive in conversations. Like that passenger should be doing the thing like look in the rearview mirror, turn around sometimes. These are the things that I'm always calculating. I try to always facilitate good conversations. Yes, I did improv comedy for a decade. (laughs) (laughs) I do think in some cars though, the sound system can be the problem because if the speakers are like in the door, it's kind of hard to hear. Like no matter what you do. 
but also turn the music off. <laughs> or, yeah, I teach there, I teach there. <laughs> but anyway, the driving, so fun. So yes, the look and then turn into it is perfect because something that does bug me is when people cannot look at the road for like 20 consecutive seconds and not get into a car accident in movies and TV shows. <laughs> so they do that. They are about to get hit by a truck, speaking of car accident, and then the car does magically teleport them to the beach. So I was very excited. Percy's going to meet Poseidon. And then Percy goes into the water and then the Nereid comes back and I was like, oh, are we going to get to see her cool form? But now she's a lady? Like still kind of has the bits when she looked more like a funky jellyfish angel. But now it's a lady, which I think more tracks, I think, for her description in the book. Like, does that hold true to mythology that she's more humanoid than like vague shape? Yeah, I think most of the time with the nymphs and stuff, the way they're depicted is humanoid. Mm -hmm. They might have like little bits and bobs here and there. Like I know like Triton, like some of them have tails. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's that's mostly the way we see them. Got it. And then she says that the deadline has passed. This is a change from the book, right? It was just like the deadline was going to pass soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the book they make it. Yeah, okay. So I'm really intrigued. This is one of those, okay, let me watch episodes seven and eight before I get upset about this, but I am a little (laughs) curious as to why they did it. It feels at least at this point in time, like it was just an excuse of why Poseidon wasn't there, which does feel like a, you didn't have to make it that way. Like Neri could have, I don't know. I'm interested to see where it goes. It is like a dagger in the heart moment though. Mm-hmm. You know, where they get all the way there, they make it, and she's just like, he waited as long as, like, the way that line is delivered, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, no. I yeah. also think our faith in Poseidon as a father is, like, fairly fragile at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, we've only built it over the past two episodes. <laughs> and so I like this moment as one where it's shaken a little bit, where you're like, was he even here? I'm not really sure. Ooh. Like, I don't know how much I trust that this won't be the way it is for forever, that you won't be the one who meets me every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think, and I think they have done this at some points in the show, it also could be something where, well, we need the people who've read the books to feel a little bit of the stress. And this would make anyone who read the books be like, wait, no, what? Huh? Like, that was my initial reaction. I was like, wait, no, 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 no. Like, that antsiness when I, you know, try to submit a college paper at 11.59.59, and then it turns to 12.00.01. And I'm like, oh, no, wait, I was yeah. clicking submit. It took too long to load. So I'm like, is the war going to be going on when they come out of the underworld? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what's going to be happening in episode eight? <laughs> right. So if the decision was we wanted to also make the book readers feel a little bit of stress and suspense and it you know doesn't change the story that much i think that's a completely valid reason i think there's been stuff throughout the season i thought at first the chimera fight was going to happen on the train just based on seeing it i know you and i think you went back and forth on your episode about like was it the train was it the arch we were both right yay but yeah at first i was like is the st louis thing not actually going to happen in the arch so and then also on the arch it's like is annabeth going to fight the chimera what's going on so i think they're doing some stuff to keep the book readers on their toes as well so if this is that reason i applaud it because it's fun i currently am like what are they going to do? And I was already going to watch all the episodes, but now I'm like really intrigued to see how they handle this. So I think it's fun. Yeah, it's very cool. And having been watching Black Sails for the last like week now, I mean, I've, I've picked it up again just to see. They love to stress you out. They stress me out so much. <laughs> it's their favorite thing to do. To stress me out. <laughs> <laughs> this is my fear. Everyone keeps telling me, 
you got to watch The Bear. And I know it's just like a stress show, but it is also a stress cooking show. I need to find the correlation of like people who enjoy The Bear versus people who have worked in a restaurant because I worked in a restaurant for three years and I need to know, will I like it or will I hate it because of that? Like, will I feel too seen by this show? And (laughs) I was never a chef. I'm assuming they're chefs and it's chef stress. My stress was just more of like, the people at Papado Seafood Kitchen don't know the difference between the oysters on a half shell and the fried oysters, and they've ordered the wrong one. <laughs> and I've brought them what they've ordered, but they're convinced that they they ordered the right thing. We had, we had two appetizers. I hope they've changed it. One was called like Oysters Papado, and one was called the Oysters Trio. One was like a sampling of raw oysters in the half shell, and then one was a sampling of like types of fried oysters in the half shell, but then like fried. And people get them confused all the time. We also had the cocktail shrimp and the shrimp cocktail, which were two different things. <laughs> oh my, it's like they wanted you to get, like they wanted people to yell at you. Like, what are they you doing? Were set up. <laughs> they yeah, they're like, yeah, it was all a plot. It was all a ploy. <laughs> <laughs> so Nared to Percy says, you are released from your quest. And Percy basically goes, I don't care, which I love. So Percy, so good. And then I'm screaming at my laptop here, give him the pearls. And then she does. But there's four? What's going on? What's going on? (laughs) So like theory time of what, like in the books, they leave Sally behind and that's the you fail to save what means most. Mm -hmm. And then how does she get back? Does Hades just like bring her back because he's like, oh, yeah, it wasn't you? I forget how she gets back. I think Poseidon brings her. I think like I just know like I remember in the book it's like Poseidon's like, oh, by the way, I brought your mom back. Okay. She's doing just fine. Yeah, and then in the movie, they leave Grover back, and then he has sex with Rosario Dawson, and then right. he gets back. So that's how— <laughs> I <laughs> forgot about that. That—oh, my. <laughs> that's just—that's how you get out of the underworld. You either have a pearl uh, or you make love to Rosario Dawson. <laughs> but the four pearls, like, the prophecy still says, fail to save what means most. So are they going to lose a pearl? Is there an extra person that they're going to need to use it on? I'm very intrigued. and. I again, this is just like, let me watch episode seven and eight and I'll see what happens. But I don't know. I'm intrigued and I hope I don't get mad. I like I hope it's something fun or maybe it's something where I could see like, oh, story wise, they had to do this to move it along. But also then like the prophecy is still there. I was like when I when I saw this and my writer brain went, oh, that's so smart, because to me, what it was, was when you see the four pearls, that's the moment, you know, Poseidon also wants to help Percy save Sally. Mm. And it's just like, oh, he cares about Sally. Like he gave him four, oh. one for like that moment to me was just so impactful in terms of the pro Poseidon camp as the dad. It was like, okay, like he can't mm. be here, but he still gave you more than what you needed to succeed. He's not forcing you to make this horrible choice that in the books they're like have to have a whole debate about before they even go into the underworld. So for me, I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, and then like the save the world, save your mother was just like, okay. Okay, we're starting to have the like faith in Poseidon built up a little bit. Yeah. So that that mm-hmm. was sort of what I was thinking when I saw it. I was like, ooh. That's a good thought. I wouldn't have thought of that. So yeah, we will just have to see. That is the end of the episode. I did note in the credits, because I wanted to see how they labeled him. It's not just guest starring Lin-Manuel Miranda. It is special guest star ooh. Lin-Manuel Miranda. I am so fascinated by like the difference in 
titles and what they all mean for things like that. And when you have the name and it's like with or and or all Featuring. you know, and so as yeah, like with special all the, appearances like, by it's right, like <laughs> I, all the rankings. I think that's such an interesting conversation that if I ever find myself like talking to someone and then you know it's like oh what do you do for work? It's like oh I'm in charge of like labeling things and credits. I'll be like let me talk your ear off for 35 minutes because I need to know. I feel like that's got to be like an agent negotiation thing, right? It a thousand percent is. It's like that, and then I'm sure it's like certain things with like how much people get paid. I do know there is like a difference in terms of like guest star versus extra versus, you know, guest appearance. Like I know that there is like a structural breakdown in TV shows based on how much they are in the show, how much they are paid, depending on how they're referred to in the script, stuff like that. I know that that's like a legit thing, but I I need to like do a deep dive on it. But those are the credits. That's the end of the episode. I really enjoyed this episode. Did you all enjoy it as well? Yeah. 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 This one, I'm torn, but I feel like it might be my favorite. Oh, I mean, five was so good. I five, uh, three and five are really good. Three I and think five, five yeah. is, I think five is my favorite. I really like them all, though. I feel like it's just like apples to oranges to bananas to pears to grapes. Like yeah. they're all just fun and good in their different ways. I also think a low key thing that's fun about this, I'm intrigued to see what the general comments will be about the length of this one because people were very upset at the fourth one being shorter and I get it because all the other ones were longer but with this one being shorter I don't think people are going to complain because so much happens but if people do complain I think you can be like well it was the Lotus Casino one where time goes by too fast ha 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 like I wonder if that was a factor I wonder if (laughs) that was a factor was it really 30 minutes long no or did it just feel 30 minutes long it was actually 20 days long you just didn't notice yeah it's actually next Tuesday night Uh, but anyway, Emily and Phoebe, thank you so much for joining. This was a blast. Always a good time to have you on the show. If people want to find you all doing stuff in the Percy Jackson world, where can they find you? Thank you so much for having us. Of course. Uh, you can find Always our podcast, Monster Donut, wherever you listen to podcasts uh, and find us on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at PJOPod. We, too, are covering the show as it comes out. So if TNO alone is not enough, come say hello. <laughs> yeah. And you two have been doing episodes where you mix in the press interview stuff into your coverage as opposed to me that's been keeping them separate. So if you want episodes with a different vibe, there you go. Head on over to Monster Donut Town. That was for our first four episodes because we had interviewed everyone about the first four episodes. And now we have a couple more special episodes coming that will be a, a slightly different format. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, we'll have to see. It is fun to see all the different things that the different podcasts, it's like, oh, they got them, they got them, cool. I'm really enjoying all the different things all the different shows are doing. But thank you both so much for joining. This was a blast. And listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, we figure out what's going on, who's using that fourth pearl, how we get to the underworld, how does the fight with Ares go, all that stuff. Until then, I'll see you later. Hello! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamadas and Brandon Grugel. And the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you can't get enough of the show, you can find us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we're on Reddit as well, reddit.com slash r slash The Newest Olympian. And if you really can't get enough of the show, you can check out the bonus content for the podcast at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. There's a bunch of bonus content you can get 
exclusive merchandise, lots of fun stuff there. And if you want other merchandise, you can go to our merch store, thenewestolympian.com slash merch. I mentioned the Patreon, so let's give a shout out to our producer level patrons, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Frida Vikstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Sam Sam Reby, Riley Kiddas, Mary Kelly, Mrs. O'Leary, Milo Kim, Cece Reads 23, Sankoff, Julia Kendall, Ricky, John Drillsma, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Luna Kadoon, Sky Mallory, Persasabeth, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, King Bastion, One Damn Distraction Coming Up, Ginger Spurs Boy, A Cup of Solace, Meg Roy, Lux, Neil, Olivia Krinicki, Mrs. O'Leary is Best Doggo, Bradimus Prime, Keepo Guy, McKenna Finley, Skylar Sisters, Demigod Nurse, Zachary Hamilton, Scott Sheldon, Sophie, Natanya Page, and Anne M. Thayer Cohen. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, just talk about the podcast, whether that is posting about it on social media or reaching out to someone that you think would like the show, or just leaving us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you are using. All of those things help. Spreading the show's existence via word of mouth is essential for the podcast, so I'm very appreciative to anyone who has done that in the past or will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, where we will be joined by Johnny Frolicksteen to talk about episode 7 of the Percy Jackson TV show. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So here in the Shubio, I have a bunch of fun stuff on the wall, things that people have sent me to the P.O. box as gifts and things that people have given to me at live shows, all very, very nice things. One thing I have here is a custom artwork, cardboard, little cardstock rectangle. Uh, it's it's like an art print and I'm going to just wobble it around to make that cool wobbling noise and that's going to be the ASMR Mike segment. I have no idea if the microphone picked that up or if my audio cleanup software cleaned it up, but hopefully you enjoyed that and thank you so much for listening.